0: We created a membership model versus an ownership model. And I think that we're clearly in the membership and the experience economy. You think about your Netflix subscription, you think about Amazon Prime, Wheels Up has a subscription model and that makes it a lot easier and a lot more accessible to the almost 20 million people that are worth between one and 10 million people in the country. You're talking about two, 3% of the U.S. population, even three, four that could afford a seat on a private jet. So meaning if you're sharing or you're going by the seat, you could fly to Nantucket from New York, Robert, for $800. That's not super uber wealthy people.
1: That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Kenny Dichter is the founder and CEO of Wheels Up. Wheels Up, New York stock exchange symbol, up, U-P, has a rough valuation of $1.7 billion. And it's the first publicly traded private aviation company ever. Their model is a membership-based private aviation program that charges users per flight hours, without any spending requirements or time commitments. Kenny is bringing private aviation to many people who never dreamed of having the opportunity. I've known and respected Kenny since the beginning of his career, when he founded Alphabet City Sports Records. The label focused on creating and selling songs that were frequently heard in sports stadiums and arenas. The firm was eventually sold to Robert Silliman's SFX Entertainment in 1998 for 4.3 million dollars in cash and stock. But Kenny soon found a love for aviation, and he went for it. And he founded Marquee Jet, the first fractional card aviation program. By the time he sold Marquee to NetJets, a subsidiary of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, in 2007. The company was doing over $700 million per year from its 3,500 customers. Kenny is someone I've always loved for his passion and his optimism and his never-give-up attitude, someone I've personally looked up to since I first started my own business back in the 90s. With the incredible amount of success that Kenny has had in business, I started by asking him if he'd always had that entrepreneurial gene since the beginning.
0: Thank you for having me on your podcast. For all the folks listening in on the combo, we go back to the I want to say early mid 90s when Robert was uh was hustling right along with me, street to New York, building a great events business. I knew Robert that I had that entrepreneurial bone probably when I picked up my first paper route. I must have been in junior high school and it was an entrepreneurial deal. You had to go pick up the newspapers on your bicycle. You had to have a set time that you were doing it and then my favorite part of that business was actually collecting once a week. And it wasn't because I was collecting the money. It was when you would knock on the door and say hello to the people. I love that interaction. And the better the conversation often resulted in the in the strongest tip. So, you know, I learned a little bit, uh, like I said, to, to be probably a newspaper person with really high EQ and high hospitality quotient, HQ. After that was always people businesses. It was the valet parking, that 10, 15 second interaction when someone hands you the keys to their their pride and joy. I did that for a while. I was a bus boy. But really, the first true entrepreneurial thing that I did was was I got into the T-shirt business when I was in high school, started out really innocently with helping the principal at the time, Mr. Fred Cohen, create real enthusiasm around the scholarship drive that we had that we did every year. I, I was able to design a t-shirt with Steve Piavelis, who was the art teacher at the time at Belmore JFK High School. And we <laughs> went around to the town. I went around Merrick and Belmore and we got people who owned stores, whether it was the bagel store or the clothing store, to give us $50 to have their, the name of their store on the back of the t-shirt. Next thing we knew, we had 50 people at 50 bucks. So $2,500 we raised for the scholarship drive. And uh, we were able to sell the T-shirts to sort of break even on that piece of it. So uh, that was the first time that things started to click. I took that apparel concept to college with me at University of Wisconsin, where I was able to meet Barry Alvarez. And then full circle, he was our football coach and athletic director. We dedicated this weekend, Wisconsin-Michigan weekend, to Barry Alvarez field. So I was out there with Donna Shalala and people that I had met 30, 35 years ago and it was really a culmination of a lot of great things, highly emotional uh, weekend for me, but I was able to take that, that clothing story. And while I was doing my studies and going to my classes, I would say full disclosure, you got a low SAT, low GPA, (laughs) public (laughs) CEO on a mic. Uh, And and host. (laughs) Yeah, and host, okay. So I would say for anybody out there, low SAT, low GPA, don't be discouraged. You can always outwork everybody. Uh, Turned that clothing business into a few retail stores by the time I had graduated Wisconsin, which really gave me the, the confidence to believe that if you can dream it, you can do it. And I think, Robert, you and I meet shortly thereafter. We uh, Jesse Itzler and I put together a business called Alphabet City, which was in the sports, music, marketing, and entertainment space. Uh, sure enough, we run into a media entrepreneur in Manhattan hmm. named Bob Sillerman, SFX Entertainment. He purchased Alphabet City our business through his Marquee Group channel. And uh, next thing we we knew, that was like 1998. In 2000, the whole SFX meets Marquee sells to Clear Channel, which was the Mays family out of San Antonio. Next thing you know, they spin it out the area that we were part of, and it was Live Nation. So the largest concert promoter in the world today, we were a very small foundational part of that. At Alphabet
1: City, so I would so, say
0: that's a, that's chapter zero or chapter. One.
1: <laughs> yeah, the great thing is you have a lot more after that, but it's pretty amazing for what you did. From going from a charitable effort, let's say, with the T-shirts in high school, right back in Long Island, and then taking it to college. And when you came out of school, and and how did you meet Jesse? How did you guys start up that business that Sillerman eventually acquired?
0: I met Jesse the old-fashioned way. Uh, we were playing basketball around the city in certain games, and Jesse had a great reputation as uh, a sports marketer. He was doing the uh, the theme song for certain <laughs> right. NBA teams, uh, the big one uh, Go New York Go, which is still played in the uh, in the garden every time there's a great run here. We took that business and really uh, turned it into uh, not just a a jingle house or a house that made music, but a house that produced music and produce CDs. And we together, Jess and I, really built out a great business with the New York Knicks as our first client and Chicago Bulls. We got to thank MJ. Oh, if yeah. Not for Michael Jordan. I'm not sure we would be on this, uh, on this podcast. You know, when Michael won in 96, we were well positioned with the Bulls to release the Chicago Bulls greatest hit CD. And that became a, a bestseller through Montgomery Ward in Chicago. And we painstakingly went team to team. Ultimately, we went league to league And then Bob Sillerman and his team heard about what we were doing. And sure enough, after two or three conversations with Bob and 650 Madison, we were part of SFX through the Marquee Group.
1: How did that feel? Because I remember too, funny enough, I had just been starting out my business and I actually met with Sillerman and we were too early because they were acquiring lots of businesses. He was just rolling that up. But how did that feel for you? as this entrepreneur to be sitting there in 650 Madison and him making you an offer to buy your business?
0: I would say, uh, you know, like the godfather, he made us an offer we couldn't (laughs) refuse. It was exhilarating. It was validating. And as entrepreneurs, people that were working, you know, day to day, week to week, month to month, check to check to have that kind of New York, or in that case, it was NASDAQ stock exchange company. and, And Bob, one of the the greatest media entrepreneurs of all time say that we he wanted Jesse and I to be part of his organization. It was unbelievable. It was a culmination. I can imagine how people feel like when they're drafted in the first round, whether it's the NFL, the, you got to put the SFX hat on <laughs> and, and go to the dance. And really, Jesse and I looked at it as uh, that wasn't the end game. That was the beginning of the career where we could go and call anybody. Sort of like when you were acquired early you know, ultimately it became WME and then CAA and your second business. All of a sudden, people were picking up our phone calls on two and three rings. When, you know, <laughs> in the old days, you're calling, leaving 100 messages before you get one call back. So I would say, you know, things changed. And uh, we took incredible advantage of the opportunity that Bob and SFX and the Marquee Group afforded us. The biggest thing that, uh, that came out of that partnership was that we started flying privately, with folks that had sold their business to Bob, you know, in a bigger way. And that was my first exposure to private aviation, which turned into my career. You know, I started out as a steward. I was a steward. I was opening, I was opening beer and handing out chicken wings to people when they were hungry, being in seat number seven or eight on a private jet. And then I looked at Jesse one day and said, Hey, love sports marketing, love entertainment. We're in the wrong business. We got to get in the jet business.
1: I love it. And that's where our two paths diverted. And you went into an incredible career within private aviation. And so you're acquired, you're flying around, you're seeing what's going on. You're like, Jesse, we got to do something here. Then what do you do?
0: All roads led to one person. They led to the Jersey Turnpike, and they led to a former Goldman Sachs partner named Richard Santuli. Richard left Goldman in 84. He bought a company in Columbus, Ohio, called Executive Jet Management. Two years later, in 86, he was a math professor. He turned that into NetJet, and uh, NetJet was the first-of-its-kind fractional jet program. He ran that, bootstrapped it from 86 to 96, and famously got a phone call from Omaha, Nebraska a entrepreneur out there that had two airplanes and said he wanted to sell his airplanes. That entrepreneur was Warren Buffett. Warren joined that jet, loved the program, loved Rich. Two years later, he bought the business, and that was 98. Jesse and I sold to Sillerman in 98. We took those private jet flights between 98 and 2000, and we came up with what I would call a a Starbucks card program for private aviation that we called Marquee Jet. Now, the trick here was how do we get Rich Santulli the Orville and Wilver Wright of private jet <laughs> to give Jesse and I a chance to sell this 25-hour marquee jet card that we came up with. And after six or seven meetings, Richard threw us out of the first six or seven. On the seventh, he brought his partner Warren and said, hey, let's pitch our idea here. Bang, in February 2001, we got a handshake from Rich and Warren. I would say in 10 years time, we did over $4 billion worth of that marquee jet card. We sold a billion or two worth of fractions. We opened up Marquee Jet Europe, sold that back to Berkshire, and in November 2010, sold Marquee Jet to uh, Berkshire Hathaway, to NetJet. So, an incredible run. Richard was an incredible mentor in the same way that Barry Alvarez and Donna Shalala were for me uh, back in Wisconsin. And then, good as a theme, you know, Bob Sillerman became a personal mentor. Bob died 24 months ago, 24 months ago now, but Bob, Bob was an incredible mentor. And I would say for everybody out there, Listening to you and I, I know you've had some great mentors along the way. I would say is imperative for anybody that's an entrepreneur to partner up. There are a lot of people out there that want to help young, energetic, good-natured, uh, high energy people. Yeah, find a mentor. Find I, a mentor.
1: I love that advice. I mean, it's so important, especially when you're you know you're a young guy, you're going through all this stuff. All of a sudden, you're in a room with with Warren Buffett and was there a time at all during that, like you said, you and Jesse were getting kicked out of the room where you were thinking maybe maybe this just isn't going to work?
0: Part of being a good entrepreneur or a true entrepreneur is being a serial optimist. No never means no. It means not now. The entrepreneur can never can never react to no in the way that a regular person would, or you wouldn't get anything done. So I whenever I heard Rich say no, I knew it meant not now, <laughs> right. meaning not now. And I think, look, perseverance, persistence in a very healthy, positive way is important. Mm. I think you need to pivot. Richard gave us, while he threw us out of the room, uh, each time he gave us a piece of advice, which was, this is, I'm not ready to do this, but if I were, I would kind of position it this way versus the way you're selling it to me. And, you know, you got to listen for the nuggets on when you're being told no. Most of the time, somebody gives you a reason why it's no or not now. And I think if you don't digest that and, work it into your forward proposal, you're probably not going to get the outcome you're looking for. So I would just say you have to be super flexible. There's no entrepreneur. And I know this from you, Robert, nobody goes from A to B straight. It's a very windy, curvy, often rocky road. And I think you just have to commit to getting to B and being flexible on how you get there. But, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs will tell you that, uh, the road or the line from A to B is not a straight line.
1: Yeah, it's really people might see you now and and we'll get into wheels up, of course, and the success you had. But I think one thing that is never realized by, by many people who just see successful people is just it's a windy road. There's ups and downs. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs kind of on their last leg. But you said something that I think has really helped you. I know has helped me is being that eternal optimist. Has that always been the way you were going back to the t-shirts and just...
0: Yeah, I was one of the kids that nobody explained gravity to me. So uh, <laughs> I never lived in uh, in a world where I felt that force. And I just think that it's the flexibility to be able to bounce off the ropes and take one on the chin and and, and roll with that and move forward. I think, you know, you always have to move forward I think the road, again, it's not a straight line. And I would say for all the young entrepreneurs kind of listening into the combo is you just have to be super flexible, but you also have to know when to fold your cards. You know, there's plenty of businesses that I've looked at, that I've invested in, that I've been part of, that you just got to know when to say when and move on to the next. Your entrepreneurial body of work isn't any one deal. It's the idea that you need more wins than losses. I would say, Robert, you know better than anybody. Nobody goes undefeated. Nobody goes undefeated. The best teams that are out there. There's only been two or three undefeated teams in, in, what, in the NFL's history. Yeah. Uh, and if you go all the way, maybe one, the Dolphins. and Dolphins, and-
1: Patriots lost, right? To yeah, the Giants yeah, yeah. No, and- nobody
0: goes undefeated. Kentucky was 40-0 yeah. uh, in the final four. Guess who they ran into? My Wisconsin Badgers. <laughs> Frank Kaminsky, Frank, uh, Frank, yeah, Frank, great Frank- college
1: player incredible. and
0: pro, incredible. So I would just say that nobody goes undefeated. No entrepreneur, including Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, they they have a couple of losses on their record. It builds character, and like I said, you can win a lot of Super Bowls. Ask Tom Brady. He's lost his fair share of games. He's got seven. So like I said, it's not about going undefeated. It's about winning championships.
1: Yeah, I love that because I think one of the hardest things I know for many people, especially a lot of our listeners who are a little bit anxious about jumping off, not because they might fail, but because other people might see that they failed. And and how did you, how did you get that mindset? I love that mindset because even like you said, Michael Jordan, like, has missed more shots than he's made to win games, right? But like, did you have to work on that or was that inherent in you?
0: I think it's confidence. I think you build that over time. I think that you just don't want total failure. You know, it's okay. It's not how many times you, you fall down. It's how many times you get up. And I think that that grit that you and I talked about uh, pre-interview, I think perseverance, I think that toughness, Smart, tough, dependable, three things that Bill Belichick says he looks for in a player. I just think that that toughness that you're willing to get off the mat or off the floor after getting knocked down and just get right back up again. I think the great Jack Dempsey once said a champion is somebody who gets up even when he can't. So that's the kind of mentality I think you need today if you're going to call yourself or you're going to be an entrepreneur.
1: It's so true. It's picking yourself off the mat. I couldn't agree with you more that that is-
0: Dusting off and (laughs) body languaging that you're ready to go
1: again. You know, that's all. So true. More from our guests, but first a word from our sponsors. Most of our guests on HSH would agree that working at a startup is unimaginably hard, but having one spot to organize everything and work as a team makes it much easier. All your notes, documents, projects, processes, tasks, don't you wish there was a way to pull them all together? Notion is an all-in-one team collaboration tool that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and much more into one space that's simple, powerful, and beautifully designed. For startups, Notion can provide a full-on operating system for running every aspect of your company, keeping everyone aligned as you grow fast and take on more. Find out how Notion may be the missing piece your startup needs to grow. Get more done and delight your team in the process. Interested, wanna find out more? Notion is running a special offer just for startups. Get up to $1,000 off Notion's team plan by going to notion.com startups. To give you a sense, that's almost a year of free Notion for a team of 10. Again, that's Notion.com slash startups to receive up to $1,000 in free credit to use Notion with your team. That's up to $1,000 value when you go to Notion.com slash startups. And we're back. So marquee, right? I mean, explodes. Does incredibly well. a lot of people all right, I made my mark. I did this thing like um how does wheels up come about?
0: Well, as I said, you know, marquee to be partnered with Warren Buffett. you talk about anything being possible in America <laughs> St. and that crew. that was my MBA. I say I got my undergraduate degree from University of Wisconsin Madison. by the way, I've never left and I'm having fun there. We just put on a fundraiser last week in New York for a A program that I put together with Andre Phillips, our dean of admissions, called Fly High, which uh, is there to support a diverse freshman class every year, recruiting minority students and others around the country that wouldn't be thinking about Wisconsin. He put together an unbelievable campaign called You Belong, and uh, really, really proud of that. So I've never left Wisconsin, but the net net is that run, you know, that was my undergraduate run. And again, Donna Shalala, Barry Alvarez, Pat Richter, huge influences there. Being able to work with Richard Santulli and Warren Buffett, getting my MBA from Berkshire Hathaway, that's
1: know, one. come on
0: now, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's unbelievable. And, you know, I really, my sabbatical deals, Juice Press, which I'm still involved with over 80 stores with Michael Karsh and Avion Tequila, which I did with my chief marketing officer at, uh, at Marquis Jet, uh, who became the lead on that deal, Ken Austin, unbelievable run on that one. But I realized in that two years where I was out on my non-compete with NetJet that I, I missed the private aviation space, and we went after it. Uh, they couldn't keep Steve Jobs out of out of computing. You know, yeah. when he left Apple the first time, he went and did a a computer firm called Next. Next famously sold to Apple, and Steve came back in. I felt like my calling was to still be in private aviation. We didn't want to do something straight out the t- straight in the in the mouth competitive with NetJet we did something that was very different. I look at NetJets as the four seasons of the private aviation space. I want to be Airbnb. And that's really what wheels up is. It's the Airbnb, the Uber, the Amazon of private aviation. So a much more democratized platform than what we built, the traditional legacy companies like, you know, NetJet and Marquee Jet. I I still love NetJet and Marquee and that I have many, many people in my life that are still there making a great living running that business. I'm proud of the legacy. Like I'm proud of my Wisconsin roots, but the net net is I'm wheels up all every day, all the time, 120% wheels up. And when wheels up is competing with anybody uh, in the space, we are strong competitors. We're diving for every loose ball.
1: Yeah. It's great to hear you had a passion and it's so funny how life works out, right? Like you want to be in music, you're in sports, you're thing. And then all of a sudden you fall into working in a business, seeing a huge opportunity, changing it. And now it seems like you're doing this because it's really your passion. And that's awesome. And tell us, give us, you said, democratizing the private airspace. and, And I'm sure there's huge. How is Wheels Up doing that right now?
0: Very simple. We created a membership model versus an ownership model. And I think that we're clearly in the membership and the experience economy. You think about your Netflix subscription, you think about Amazon Prime. Wheels Up has a subscription model, and that makes it a lot easier and a lot more accessible to the almost 20 million people that are worth between one and 10 million people in the country. You're talking about two, three percent of the U.S. population, even three, four that could afford a seat on a private jet. So meaning if you're sharing or you're going by the seat. You could fly to Nantucket from New York, Robert, for $800. That's not super uber yeah. wealthy people. That's working wealthy people. And I think that we were able to partner with Delta Airlines, the number one airline in the world over the last 10 years at Bastion. Uh, they became a partner when we they contributed Delta Private Jet into Wheels Up. And I think the platform that we're setting up here, instead of servicing 100 to 200,000 people, which we were sort of our addressable market at Marquee and, Wheels and, uh, and NetJet, We're out there marketing to millions of people. So that's democratization. I would tell you, you know, going back to the theme of anything's possible in America, for us to ring the bell as the first private aviation company on the New York Stock Exchange on July 14th this year. I mean, again, uh, you think about what Cassius Clay once said as he was preparing for his first Sonny Liston fight. He was talking to the Beatles. He was talking to Lennon and McCartney. And he looked at him and he said, the more real you get the more unreal it gets. You know? <laughs> we pinch ourselves every day. You know, what an opportunity, what a what a great thing, a great country we live in. And then again, into the crisis, Robert, you know, we used our whole platform and we still are today to market Meals Up, which is an initiative with Feeding America, knowing that this crisis has hurt a lot of people, over 50 million Americans are food insecure. We partnered with Claire yeah. Babineau and company and created Meals Up, Brady and Giselle, Russell and Sierra, J.J. Watt, uh, all that's of our ambassadors great. participated and sure enough we pledged 10 million meals we're now over 60
1: that's awesome
0: uh, we you know next stop is uh, you know sky's the limit here
1: you know it's so great to see just you talk about social impact giving back i love the name meals up perfect tell me though just going back because i think going up and ringing the new york stock exchange bell being up there is a dream that i think every entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs have with their business. Was that a pinnacle moment for you? What were you thinking?
0: Funny, you asked me about how I felt when we did the Sillerman deal at SFX. I would say a lot of the same feelings, validating, exhilarating. I think being able to have over 500 investors get into the end zone, which is in a certain way, you create that daily liquidity that being a public company is That's incredible for people that have invested in you six, seven, eight years, some of the longer term investors that we had from day one. There's only 2,200 public companies on the New York Stock Exchange. So you're really in in a special group of companies. I think that we understood the gravity of that. And you're at the center of capitalism when you're on Wall Street, ringing that bell, and you're representing all of your pilots and everybody, all your maintenance techs, everybody out in the in the field, and again, you think about what what you've done for your investors. It's an incredible feeling, but also, like SFX, it was a permission to do more. How many more meals can we do for food insecure Americans with our partnership with feeding, you know, through Feeding America? Because we're now a public company with a bigger megaphone, a bigger microphone. So I think there's a lot of feelings that get wrapped up in a in an event like that. But ultimately, I look at that as your called out from the dugout to the batter's box. And maybe the batter's box, you're now at home played Yankee Stadium or Cowboy Stadium or one of these iconic places, Lambeau Field. Yeah. Kick the hat to Wisconsin. (laughs) Barry Alvarez.
1: And then as an entrepreneur, it's one thing you're running a private business, right? How has that changed for you being now the guy in this very public business?
0: We've had public... Investors, T. Rowe Price, Fidelity, and Franklin Templeton for years. We've been running the business like a public business. Mm-hmm. So, no material change on that front, other than a lot of filings and a lot of things that one does as a public company. I have a great executive leadership team that takes care of a lot of the I's and T's. Named a president this week, Vinayak Hegde. So, he was from Amazon Airbnb, a special person. You got to recruit the world's best if you want to have global scale and you want to be the market leader. You want to be the Amazon, the Uber, the Airbnb in the space. You got to walk the walk. And I think as a public company with public currency, we cleared $656 million of fresh capital uh, when we went public. So we got all of the resources that we need to be much bigger, much stronger one day.
1: And in the time we have left, where do you see, you know, you talk about Airbnb and you talk about Amazon and these global companies that really dominate categories where do you see or maybe when do you see wheels up there
0: it's a long journey i don't have a very specific i don't have a specific timeline timeline in my head but i do know that europe is a great opportunity for us asia is a great opportunity south america australia there's some great aviation markets that we're not yet operating in we do fly our customers to Europe. We have 100 partners in Europe, but we don't have a flag planted in any of the markets in the Middle East. We partnered with LVMH veteran, Robbie Tochran. When we did our SPAC to go public, we partnered with El Cataton, with Scott Denke, people that have global experience, you know, hiring a Greg Greeley, who ran Amazon Prime with Bezos, who opened up Amazon Europe. He's the chairman of our marketplace, Vinayak. I mentioned our president. We're partnering with people that have seen global scale, So I would say, look, if we were on when your podcast is five years, 10 years out, I would say that we'll see really meaningful progress against this goal of uh, being the global number one in our space. We're already the number one on demand player in the United States in in eight short years. So I think that we have a tremendously big opportunity, bright future. And the biggest thing standing between us and our goals is us. So I think that it's really we got to look inward and figure out what we need to do, because we have all of the resources uh, to do some great things forward.
1: It sounds like like you talk about, you're spending a lot of your time now in terms of finding great talent, bringing great talent in, and preparing for where you want to go. Is that how you're spending a lot of your your days now?
0: Yeah, I think that, look, we've put some great people in place to handle the minute-to-minute, day-to-day ops. And my job as a founder, leader. Is to lay the vision out. Is to go be a great ambassador out there. Uh, to go help with M and A and meet un- other entrepreneurs and get them aligned with us to see if they're a fit for our platform. It's it's recruiting. It's spending time with the members. It's listening. Spending time with our partners at Delta. We just signed a deal last quarter with American Express. So it's really figuring out how we go and achieve that scale that ultimately creates a better experience for our members and customers, because it's really all about your members and your customers and their experience. If you take care of them, the rest takes care of itself. As you know, better than anybody, a happy customer is the key to your business. That's the only metric, Robert, I know that you cared about. Everything else just fell into place if you had happy customers.
1: You know what? I couldn't say that. That is so true. Kenny, man, it's so great seeing you where you are, knowing when you started and where you came from. And just like you said, like to look at yourself and to the humility to be like, if I can do this, anything's really possible in this country. And I mean, you're living, you're living proof of that.
0: Still the greatest country in the world. I know that it's tough times and there's a lot of, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of people talking past each other. It's the greatest country in the world for, we had this idea eight years ago. We rang the bell on the New York Stock Exchange eight years later. I would say for the listeners, if I was leaving you with one last message, just to double click on what Robert is talking about here, if you dream it, you can do it. It doesn't mean that every dream you have is going to become a reality. But if you are smart and you have perseverance and you stick to it and you partner up with the right people, anything is truly possible. And like I said, you just got to keep going when things get tough that's really where you separate the true entrepreneurs from folks that probably should be working with or for entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, but I think that that's the message I would leave with everybody that if you can dream it, you can do it. And Robert, again, incredible to reconnect this way. And I love what you're doing. I love what your company's doing. I love trip tribe. I love all of the different aspects of what, uh, what you're about here. And I know that the two of us are going to be doing stuff away from the podcast in the future. And this will be uh, meeting number one. I didn't. I'm glad you didn't throw me off the podcast early.
1: <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, man. And and I love seeing you. And just hearing your story every time I, I think of it, it just I'm just blown away, amazed. And um, it's so great reconnecting here. And just for you talking about everything now, where you're at the point where you're giving back, right? You talk about this weekend in Wisconsin, or you're talking about the Meals on Wheels program. I mean, those are the greatest things you can do now. And it's so great to see you doing that because not not every entrepreneur does, but I love your passion there as well.
0: Well, I think a measure of a true entrepreneur's success is not what he or she has, it's what he or she gives. So I would say that's the true measure of success at the end of the day. And uh, with that, again, a, a double thank you for uh, for having me on the podcast today. I look forward to staying in great touch and and great luck with all your businesses and everybody out there. Just uh, dream it and do it. That's it. Simple message for me.
1: Leave it it at that. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T, T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.